0: in the first part of the ch- of chapter two we talked about how God has given us a place and a personhood in his kingdom as Christians as believers and followers of him and that we have a purpose as a result of that and I've been thinking about that and trying to think uh, all through the week I was I was Thinking about trying to think about an illustration or something to help us to to maybe get a little bit better handle or me get a little bit better handle on some of the things that I think that implies into the last part of the chapter. And so I have an illustration here on the board, and I'm going I want to use that illustration to maybe help us to think about this idea of our person, our place, and our purpose. I don't know where I put my, here's my black marker. So, we have two houses here. And one of them I'm going to call heaven, and the other I'm gonna call it Earth. What does the Bible have to say about heaven? I'd like to have some of your input about what kind of a place it is. A right, joyful, joyful place. <laughs> okay. God is there. God is there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Dwelling God, (laughs) light. Now, I'm going to ask you another question about it. What did Jesus call it? My father's house. My father's house, that's good. When he talked about it, he talked about it as the kingdom of heaven, right? And that included his father's house. So, what I want us to think about, and one of the uh, John D. Martin, he, he stresses to people, that Jesus was not so much interested about getting us to heaven as he was about getting heaven to us. Where did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven was? Amen. It's within you. Kingdom of heaven is within you. And so a lot of these, these things that you are giving me, they're right, but they're t- thinking about a future heaven. But there's a present heaven experience in the heart of the believer. The kingdom of God comes within you. It's part of your experience. So, when the Bible talks about who the believer is, what kind of terms does it use to describe the believer? So, this is describing his place in the kingdom of God. What is it? It talks about the believer as a citizen, right? It talks about him as a child of God. And being in God's house, in God's building. Talks about him being a priest. Had that in the last chapter, or last, the first part of the chapter. Uh, a it? Mm-hmm. A, a holy nation, a peculiar people, or a separate people. Here. thank you. So heaven, or the kingdom of God, is His place, and. This is his person, a citizen of the kingdom. See, I didn't spell citizen right. Anyway, you have to forgive that. (coughs) So then he has a purpose. Where is his purpose? You see, one of the things that I wondered after I was saved and after the Holy Spirit filled me was like, God, why don't you just take me to heaven right now? But you see, God had a purpose for me. And my purpose right now is down here. And that purpose is not to make me this, but it's because I am this. It's because I am a child of God that I have a purpose. I can never fulfill without being this. I can't fulfill my purpose. I must be a child of God to fulfill my purpose. And that purpose is to fulfill God's will now here. So we can talk about then what is God's purpose or we could think about maybe a little bit. We talked about this just a little bit in the last message. And, it, and so it's there's there's some things there in the in the first part of chapter two that talk about what God's will for us is or what God wants us to do or what purpose he has for us here. What, what is God's purpose for us? And you don't have to just draw from chapter from chapter two. but that would be to get us up here. Be witnesses. Be witnesses. That's good. I'm just going to... Yeah. That covers a lot of different aspects to be witnesses. Because one of the things it talks about in here in chapter 2 is um, that we would show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. See, that's being a witness for God. Is showing who God is. So, show his praise. Anything else? And I I have a feeling that maybe part of what uh, Crystal was implying was making disciples. See, that's another purpose that we have. And then Matthew 8, uh, Matthew uh, 28 that we call the Great Commission, it has not only the, the, the purpose to make disciples, but also to teach. So those are some of the things. There's a, there's a whole lot more things in the, that the New Testament talks about that are our purposes. Okay, so there's illustrations, word pictures. Are common things that we know um, that God uses as, or the the New Testament uses God through the New Testament to show us what, or, or to give us an example of what our presence here is like. So we do still live here, even though our 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 place is in heaven. Uh, we do still live here. One of the one of the things that he talks about is well. Actually, we're going to stop with that. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. I'm going to talk about some of the ways that the Bible describes the earth. You have any thoughts about that? How does the Bible describe the earth? That's good. God has ultimate control, but I'm not thinking about it in that sense. I'm thinking about it in the sense of its temporary nature. It's temporary. <coughs> Whose dominion is it under? Uh, so- uh, Satan. Satan. Satan's dominion. Now temporary covers a lot of things, but part of what it part of what it covers is that the things of the world, the material things of the world, are less in value or they don't have the value that heavenly things have or spiritual things. And so um, that it is of lower value. He's dominion, but he's not in control. goal. Death of the devil, God is the goal of the devil. Yeah. That's, that's part of... That's, that's, that's a good joke. And I think part of what we're talking about is what we're thinking about. Um, because what I'm what I'm referring to in this sense is the earth in its material sense. And yes, God is in overall control of the happenings. But ultimately, for instance, Christ's death, Christ said, This is your hour in the power of darkness. And so Satan was at work to bring about Christ's crucifixion. God was ultimately in control, but Satan was involved, and Jesus mentioned Satan's dominion uh, over the earth and called him the prince of this world, and so that's the sense in which I'm talking about it being Satan's dominion. And, And so our presence here in the world in the New Testament is primarily, I think, two of the best illustrations are soldiers and Ambassadors. okay Stranger. strangers well yeah and that reflects into ambassadors okay so the residents of this world who, who I'm talk about as the residents of this world who are the people who are not the citizens of the kingdom of God we live here But this is not our place that it talks about. When I say we're we're part of a place, I'm talking about that we're part of the kingdom of heaven. They're residents of Satan's kingdom. And Satan's kingdom is very much a part of this world. Okay? Now, we're soldiers in the sense of a warfare against the dominion of spiritual evil. But we are not at war with the residents of the world. We're not at war with the people of the world, we're at war with the spiritual darkness in the world. So we're soldiers in that sense. In the sense of the residents of this world, we are ambassadors. So we are an ambassador is someone who goes to another country and they negotiate with the con- with the country that they're going to, they negotiate with that country for the benefit of their country. And so in ambassadors is the sense that i want to focus on this morning. The idea of us being part of another place, but our purpose is as ambassadors. The other thing I want us to think about is the fact that this, where we are temporarily, is not our place of security. One of the things that I didn't write down about heaven was that it was eternal. So if we have an eternal home, if we have an eternal place, what does that mean? That means that we have something that's going to last forever. Now, you talk about security. There is tremendous security in having something that's going to last forever. And there's nothing so insecure as knowing that what you have is only temporary. It's going to come to an end. So our place in the kingdom of heaven is a tremendous security and that is where our security as a believer is found. We are secure in Christ in our place in the kingdom of heaven. And so what I want us to think about is that our purpose or our security is somewhat separated, in one sense separated, from where we're currently dwelling. So the idea of security being, like my existence here is not based on my security here. My security is based somewhere else. And so I have a security that is not affected by what happens to me in this life. Is that clear? You with me? We have a temporary place of stay. And Peter, in this passage, so he lays out this whole idea of person, a place, a person, and a purpose, and then he starts to give us instruction based on that idea, based on that concept. Verse 13, I'm not going to read through this passage, but we're beginning at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme, or to governance as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So these residents have a government, a system of government. And there, there, there is a government system here that in, in which we are ambassadors. And it tells us in that verse what the basic reason for that government is. In those verses. In verse 14, "...for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well." And we have a very similar passage in Romans 13 where it says this, "...for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. For if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain." For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So it's saying in that passage that that God's in, in in Romans, that God sets up the government. And the reason he set up the government is for him to be a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so it uses, when it's talking about the government, it doesn't use pronouns that refer to the Christian. It uses pronouns that refer to someone else. Such as, he is the minister of God to thee for good. See the difference there? For he is the minister of God. So it's talking about someone else. And he is to restrain the evil in the world. That's His purpose. So, you drove to church this morning, and I did too, and I don't know how it was for you, but for me, I felt relatively safe on the road. Why? Because of law. Because people followed the law we were relatively safe. So the government set up law with the purpose of keeping people safe and ultimately also keeping people free. Because you were only safe on the road this morning in as much as people obeyed the law. Because you were, would be endangered as soon as someone ran a red light, as soon as, soon as someone ran a stop sign. You would be endangered. So if we live in a free country, then why are there people in prison? Because they violated the law, which made others free. So I give you that. We might come back to that in just a little bit, but I give you that to say, God says to us, submit to this government body because that does something. It puts you in a position. Look at verse 15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So as ambassadors, we submit to the government of the, of the residents of this land because that puts us in a position to be able to be better ambassadors. That we can put to silence the foolishness of ignorant people. And that that submission to the government does not make us less free to fulfill our purpose. It makes us more free. And then he goes on to talk about The freedom that we have. In verse 16, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So we're free in the sense that our ultimate security and allegiance is to this kingdom. So it's somewhat separated from where we are dwelling. But that separation is not so that we can do evil. That doesn't mean we're free to do evil here. But it means we're free to be the servants of God. And that's what God is telling us. That's why God is telling us to submit to the government. Because He wants us to be free to fulfill His purpose. And then he goes on to talk about more of that purpose in verse 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. God is the one who holds your security. And that's true in two senses. One sense is that whatever, wherever you find your security, that is your God. But if you find your security in the God of heaven, then He is your God. And you are His child. So your security is in God. And we reverence Him in that sense. We fear Him in that sense. We fear Him in the sense that He is our King. He holds our security in His hands. Pleasing Him is what matters in life. That's why when there's um, an absolute monarchy and, and subjects come into the throne room, they fall on their faces before the King because He holds their security. If He says, take Him out, He gets taken out. God holds our security. He is our King. And we fear Him. We reverence Him as a result of that. Now, He's also our Father, which is a whole lot closer and more personal. And He's loving, which makes it a whole lot nicer than those men who serve unjust kings. But fear God. And in a sense, that's a proper priority of relationship. And that's part of what it's giving us here. It's saying that He needs to hold that primary place of reverence in our lives. And that's why I'm I'm choosing that one first. Secondly, love the brotherhood. The people who are part of this place are your fellow citizens. Now, can you imagine an ambassador who loves the people... where he is living more than the people of his own nation? Think about that. Then would he be a good ambassador for his kingdom? No, he wouldn't. And we need to have a high level of love for our fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Love the brotherhood. We are in this together. We are all citizens, ambassadors for the kingdom of God as we follow Jesus Christ. Honor the King. Well, I wasn't thinking about this a whole lot until yesterday. And somebody mentioned uh, that 20 years ago we had an impeachment trial. It was 22 years ago, I think. And... uh, Another president was impeached 20 years ago. Well, the interesting thing about that is that that was a Democratic president. And now we're having a trial for a Republican president. And if you go back and look at the votes, and, and now the votes are falling a lot along political party lines. And if you go back then and look, guess what? The votes fell along political party lines. Well, we are free to honor both men. But not everybody in our country is free to honor both men because their security lies in one party or the other. But we are free to honor the king because our security does not rest in him or in his ethics Our security rests in God. So we honor the king. We honor all men. Our security does not rest on whether the man down the street wants to harm us or not. We honor all men. Good and evil. We honor them. They are made in the image of God. Moving on into verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. So here it's saying, and this be subject is the exact same Greek word as to submit in verse 13. So we're to be subject not only to the good man, we're also to be subject to the man who's contrary. Those words there mean warped and perverse. So we're to be be subject to that kind of a master. And again, part of that has to do with the fact that our experience experience as a Christian and our security as a Christian is somewhat separated from our, our physical experience. And that's one of the things that, that some people struggle to understand about this whole slave master thing. And, and what I try to point out to people that, that challenge the idea of slavery in the Bible is the fact that God doesn't specifically want to free us physically, He wants to free us spiritually. And when we're free spiritually, then we are completely free. Within our physical experience. And then he goes on in verse 19 to talk about, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. So it's saying that even though you don't deserve maybe the suffering or this, the abuse that this froward boss is giving you, because of your motivation of conscience toward God, see, conscience toward God is the motivation in that verse, a desire to please God our King, you endure this wrongful treatment. This is thankworthy. It's saying God is pleased with that, and so ultimately, then you're fulfilling that purpose. And then in verse twenty, for what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So now we've got something that's acceptable with God. It's, it's still referring to that same thing. And he's going into a logical argument. He's saying that we recognize that when, when I do wrong, that there is going to be some logical consequence. But what gets us stirred up is when we don't do wrong and receive consequence. And, and that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the kind of suffering where we suffer not because of what we have done, but because someone else has done something wrong. And I'm going to talk just a little bit more about that here in a little bit when I'm talking about Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 21 For even hereunto were ye called. So saying, we were called to suffer unjustly. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Why did Christ die? And we'll look at that some more. I just want you to begin by thinking about that in verse 22. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. So we should live as he lived. Who did no sin, neither was Guile found in his mouth. I remember hearing a story about a man that was pulled over for not stopping at a at a stop sign. And he declared to the officer, he said, I stopped. And the officer said, Well, you can come to court and talk about it. And so he went to court and he declared before the judge that he was innocent of this, but He said, I'm willing to pay the the fine anyway. And the judge said, well, why are you willing to pay the fine anyway if you're innocent? He said, because I've done it enough times that I'll just be paying for one of those times that I didn't stop. (laughs) But you see, that wasn't how Christ did it. Christ had no sin. He did not suffer at all because of his own sin. And I believe verse 23 is one of the most powerful verses in the Bible in relation to non-resistance. When he was reviled, even though he had no sin, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. When he suffered, he he could have looked at those men and said, I can call all of heaven in and wipe you out. He could have done that. He could have threatened him, but he didn't. He could have retaliated, but he didn't. What did he do? He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Christ committed himself, his temporary existence, his fleshly existence, he committed that to God. And it was in that way that he went through the unjust suffering that he faced. And so, our call is to also commit ourselves into the hand of a God who is a just judge and who gives us an eternal home. Our security rests in an eternal God, not in our current condition. And then He goes on to talk about what He did in verse 24. He bore our sins and His body on the tree. In verse 20, we talked about suffering for doing wrong. And we have this, this innate understanding that a price must be paid when right is violated. Well, what's right and wrong? You see, and that brings up a whole question, but, but what, do me, what do people mean when they say that they have rights? What are they talking about? They're talking about things that by nature they understand, you know, they have value for one thing, that that they have value. That's what their rights mean, that they have value. And when those values are, are violated, those privileges that they have as a result of value, when that's violated, then that's what they call wrong. And so... When people talk about having rights, they're talking about the privileges that they have as a result of their value. And we understand, just within ourselves we understand that when someone violates what I what I believe to be my right, that they have done wrong and they need to pay for that. They need to pay for that hurt. And the automatic understanding is that the offender should pay equal The value taken. So that's part of how we understand right and wrong. And you see, when we are convicted of our sin, we face the reality that we have violated the right of God. That's what happens when we're convicted. And we recognize within ourselves that there is a price that must be paid for that violation. and we stand condemned, and we face the penalty of that sin. Our consciousness, our conscience recognizes the cost. And you know what? We have nothing. We have nothing to offer an almighty God when we violate His rights. We have nothing to offer Him but He had something to offer us. By His stripes, we are healed. And since the time of Noah, God made it clear that the life is in the blood. And God also made it clear that sin, the penalty of sin is death. And the life is in the blood. The law of Moses tells us that the price for life is life. And Jesus gave His life for our life. So that our conscience could be cleaned, could be cleared from the debt of guilt. His blood is His life, given for you and me to receive forgiveness and peace. And what is baptism? The answer of a clear conscience. How can our conscience be clear? Only by the blood of Christ. By Him being a sacrifice for us, we are healed. I've been thinking about a song recently and there's been some specific things that have stood out to me in that song. how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon His shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It was my sin that held Him there until it was accomplished. It was my mocking voice as much as it was anybody else's in that crowd. My rejection of God. I will not boast anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. The wounds of Christ, suffering of Christ for my sin. And as a result of that, Ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop or overseer of your souls. You were going astray. You were going your own way. But you've now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You're putting your life, you're putting your security in good hands. Hebrews 13.10 kind of a parallel passage that kind of sums up this passage, this last part of this passage. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. It's saying that the animals, the blood of the animals was taken in for the cleansing of the people into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, for cleansing from sin, but the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside the city. And His blood was for us, for our cleansing. Let us therefore let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. What does it mean to bear his reproach? It means to be separate or to be separated or rejected. For we have no continuing city here but we seek one to come. And then last week we talked about sacrifices. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. We have something to be very thankful for. And let us offer that continually. As ambassadors here, we should be offering that sacrifice of praise to Him continually, regardless of our circumstances here. And then it goes on in verse 16 of Hebrews 13. But to do good and communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We're pleasing our King. To do good. To communicate. Do we know where our security is? Do you as a believer know where your security is? And are you so sure about it? that you're willing to commit yourself in whatever circumstance you find yourself into the hands of God. Even if that's a circumstance of suffering. Even if it didn't come as a result of your sin. But rather, it came as a result of someone else's sin. Is that how we understand the secure place that we have in Christ? And does it affect the way we live as a result of it? Lord bless you. And you can start reading in chapter 3. I'm not sure how many verses we're going to study next Sunday, but we're going to continue our study there next Sunday. Lord bless you. Shall we have a song?